Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. What up, DBDL fans? Today, Brad's going to be talking with Matt Boudreau, who in 2016 founded Acton Academy Placer, which is not a school. It is a workforce and an alternative to the traditional education model that's reshaping how kids learn. Kids learn through hands-on trial and error, self-awareness, self-confidence, perseverance, and by doing the things that they're actually passionate about. And Acton and Matt's approach prepare students to succeed at life and not just standardized tests. So more recently as well, Matt co-founded Apogee Strong, which is a specialized mentorship program designed to specifically shape young men into better providers and protectors. So in this episode, Brad and Matt are going to dig into one, why the current education system fails to prepare many students for the real challenges of life. Two, the most powerful thing parents can do to prepare their children for financial literacy and sensitive real-world topics like religion and politics. And three, ways to get your kids interested and engaged in learning about personal and family financial matters. Now, before we get to the show, we've got a special gift for GBDL listeners. One of the things that Brad talks extensively with Matt about during this conversation is the shortfall of education around personal finance. And with that in mind, one of our former guests, Jim Shields, agreed to share his education matrix that has a whole third of the curriculum dedicated to this topic alone. The education matrix was designed to complement your kids' current education structure to better prepare them for life and business. So if you want access to the Jim Shields education matrix, what you're going to do is text the number 35, not the word, to the DBDL Insider phone number. That's 785-800-3235. And we're going to automatically send you a text back with a link to get access. So super, super simple. Please note text message and data rates may apply. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by applying stop to any message you receive. And if you want the show notes to this episode, including links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discussed, you can grab those at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 35. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, today's conversation with Matt Boudreau. Welcome back to another episode of Do Business, Do Life. Excited to be joined today by Matt Boudreau. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it, man. It's fun going to get to do this. And then we get to have you on next week too, man. So I got two weeks in a row of Brad, man. I'm excited. Awesome, man. Well, I'm excited to guest on your show. And I know it's always fun just kind of how, from what I've found in life, at least my journey, you surround yourself with great people. They tend to surround themselves with other great people. And so Jason Kalipa was kind enough to connect us. And uh, he had obviously come on the do business, do life show. I've been to a couple of triad live experiences and he's like, man, I just, I think my buddy, Matt kind of lives do business, do life. So I want to make the introduction, get him on the show. So thanks Jason. If you happen to be listening to this to make it for making the connection happen. So how, sure. I never asked you, how did you and Jason originally connect? You know, what's funny, man, is we, so the very first time I actually met Jason, I got a CrossFit certification back in the day at the very first certification he worked so he really? was already, yeah, wow. he was the games champ, you know, early on and, and, uh, was shortly thereafter, I believe. And so it was the very first one that he'd coached. And so that was the first time meeting physically, but it's not like we struck up our friendship then, you know, it was later on, um, as Tim and I started building out Apogee and we started putting together this list of just amazing mentors that we were bringing in. I think Tim said something about Jason or something like, that. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to reach out. That guy was a really good guy. And I agree, Tim, he would be a phenomenal guy to come on. 
So Jason was great, man. He's like, let me get on the phone. Like, let's talk about what are you guys doing? What are you and Tim up to with this? What have you done? And the relationship just blossomed from there. So I've been on his show like four or five times. He's been on, you know, ours multiple times as well. Um, and we've just struck up this friendship where we get to talk quite regularly. So really good human. Yeah, he really is. It's always fun. And actually, it's my journey in CrossFit was right as it was blowing up on ESPN. And obviously, Jason was literally competing for a podium spot every year of the early days. So it's cool when you see guys that you like look up to in some sense, because obviously they're killing it when it comes to the athletic feats that he was pulling off. But then you meet him in person. He's actually a better dude than he is an athlete. You know, he just. And that's that's, it, right? Yeah. That was why we wanted to bring. I mean, this is. You know, when we're bringing guys in on our on our side of things, we're bringing in guys that are yeah, Andy Frizzello is killing it. That's great. He's doing great <laughs> in business. He's a better human. So yeah. let's bring him in, right? Patrick but David's obviously killing it in business. He's a better human. So we're yeah. bringing him in. like so. It's it's that man, and that's what it was with Jason too. It's obvious. Just a he's a, a concerned human being. He enjoys helping people. He's a great you know uh, husband, a great father. That mattered to us far more. Yeah. Well. It's what this show's all about. We want to do business with people we want to do life with. So, hey, we're all in the right spot. Well, cool, Matt. Let's get to you because I know our time's limited today. So let's go into your background and what's cool, obviously, being a show for financial advisors. Because if I really like look at synergies here, the financial advisor is a form of a school. It's a school for finance, personal finance for most of our audiences is retirees as they transition into their work from their working years into their retirement years and how to successfully do that frameworks and coaching they need to stick to to do that. And you were very early in the Acton Academy, which was doing similar on the education front, a different approach to education. So I'd love to just share your story. How did that come to be background? And then I think there'll be a ton of learnings and we'll just go from there. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'll give you kind of the 30,000 foot overview and then um, we'll go wherever you want to go. But I like the way you framed that because I'm always quick to tell people I'm a career educator and people automatically think schools. And then I will also follow it up with, I very strongly believe school and education are not the same things. Um, And in fact, I think a lot of times they're at war with each other and school is this finite game. It is a, what i called the the biggest religion in this country. Education is growth. It is the natural state of a human being. It is something that you've got to be intentional around. You can do that in multiple avenues, obviously finances being a huge part. You know, it's a place that that continued education matters. So I got into, I guess that mentality, but got into schools via turning down a job at the White House coming out of college. So came out, I had done the you know, the the 4.0 thing my entire life was always a 4.0 student in high school and in college and um, in graduate school. But it's not because I was super smart. It was because I saw the patterns of school. I figured out how to play the game and I could do very little work to get my A's and then focus on, you know, girls and sports, like, right, the stuff that mattered. And so I turned down this job at the White House. So I graduate and I had no idea who I was. I had no idea what skill sets I really possessed. I had no idea how to really get educated. I just was really good at school. So I brought the work ethic, at least that I had to uh, to some of these odd jobs. And one odd job led to another. And ultimately, I landed at Stanford University and, and ended up working at Stanford for quite a long time where I got to see the game of school from the inside. And the game, meaning I saw admissions games, I saw the game of well, these young guys are really, really good at school, but they're really struggling at life. Started seeing all those things and thought, well, naively, I thought, well, I'll go change it. I'll go change it from the inside, man. I'll go be a, I'll go be a teacher and start from the bottom and, and really help people there. 
public school teacher to public school administrator to private school teacher to private school administrator, seeing all the games that are played there from the inside out is why I left all of that to then start institutions of education for my own kids. And luckily for me, not only did and I legitimately started my first campus with the intent of my oldest can go here. And I really hope there's maybe 10 other kids that want to go. But within multi, you know, within five years, we had multiple campuses, multi-million dollars worth of properties, and we were serving hundreds of kids around Sacramento. And I was also very fortunate at that time, my speaking career organically took off as well. Cause I, I wanted to do the speaking to provide for the family while I was uh, building these campuses out. And I didn't want to take any money from the school. So I ended up working with Amazon, Google, Netflix, Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, U.S. Air Force, um, Purina, American Eagle. I mean, just you name it. I get to work with these organizations and they're bringing me in because they're going, oh, we're hiring all these really well-schooled individuals and they suck and we want to get rid of them. Help us not fire everybody, right? A lot of well-schooled individuals who aren't educated. What's the disconnect? So I got to go have these conversations and then bring this back to, you know, the campuses that we were launching. So ultimately launched a bunch of campuses, partnered with my friend, Tim Kennedy, who a lot of the listeners will probably know who Tim is and helped him build a school. Uh, but then we started our, our mentorship programs, which is now in multiple countries for young men, for men. We've got our women's program, launching our young ladies program, and we are launching about 100 K through 12 campuses in the fall of 2024. So I'm never hurting for things to do. There's a big old mouthful right there, man. Cool. So let's dive in and, and break some of that apart. So I just happen to be semi-familiar with Acton, which is yep. where this started. And then I know it evolved since then, just because I've got a couple of buddies in Austin. They were sending their kids there. John Broman runs a really cool group, Front Row Dads. And so there was a lot of conversation around education there. And then I think the other thing I see is covid blew everything up. And then all of a sudden parents were homeschool teachers. And then I think that's where like some of this, like, I'll call it like a, uh, a movement that's happening right now that I feel when it comes to children and education and a different approach to it. So can you maybe give us like the beginner's version of what is the difference between here's my public school or private school K through 12 experience. And here was Acton's approach and then how that's even evolved to what you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. The best way I can I can describe it is school gets you really good at, at school. So we've been sold this thing that this idea that school and the way that we all have grown up going to it, this can what I call the conveyor belt model was maybe somehow put together by a group of experts that said, look, this is how child development works. And here are the foundational things they need to know or need to do to be good at life. And not only is that extraordinarily far from the truth, it doesn't map out to the real world at all. You and I both know people who crushed it in school and are having a really hard time in life. We also know people who had a really hard time in school um, who are crushing it in life. And that's partially because these are two different games altogether. Just because somebody's really good at basketball doesn't mean they're good at baseball. Just because they both have a ball and there's a team involved, like there's these little tiny things that cross over, but it's not the same game. Well, school and life aren't the same game either. So conveyor belt schooling gets you good at school. What we were doing on the Acton Academy side and on the Apogee School side is a microcosm of the real world. 
So what that means is we take the meta skills that actually matter and transfer. So are you able to communicate effectively? Are you able to think logically? Are you able to engage in civil discourse? Meaning you can articulate what it is you believe and why you believe it, but you're also able to genuinely listen to somebody else's point of view who may or may not agree with you. You're willing to consider their evidence and be brave enough to go, okay, well, your evidence is better. Maybe I'll change my mind or self-confident enough to go, okay, I see your evidence. I still don't necessarily agree, but we can be friends. Like we're okay. That's something that's actually a meta skill that transfers over to be beneficial in real life. So we want them to be able to engage um, in Socratic thinking and, and being able to understand logical fallacies, like to actually be good communicators. And we want them to understand that physical education and physiology is the precursor to the, you know, what's trendy now is the same mental health for young people. Well, physical health is the precursor to mental health. We want them to understand what finances look like. And we will do it often through the lens of entrepreneurship. All of our kids are going to start businesses every year or take their existing business into perpetuity. Not because they have to be an entrepreneur, but because of the lessons that are transferable, right? We want them to be experience-based. I only even say project-based because people don't really know what that means and they take it a different direction. We want things to be experience-based. You know, an example that I, I like that Elon Musk gave is he said, you know, school goes, all right, everybody sit down. We're going to teach you about wrenches. Here's a wrench. This is a socket wrench. This is a, and nobody cares. None of the kids care and they don't know what it is. But if you take the young heroes and they're, and you're like, Hey, check out this engine. This car is freaking sweet. Check out this engine. This engine's broken though. Let's go fix it. And they go in and they jump in and they're trying to fix it because they have a goal of doing something. And in the process, it's like, Oh, okay. I need a wrench for that. That's what this is right here. Right. That's an experience that you can root things to versus just yapping at people, right? And so we built out a bunch of experiences and projects based on that. Very internship heavy, very apprenticeship heavy, um, very personal responsibility heavy, including jobs on campus. The whole idea was I wanted to get all of my campuses to be completely run start to finish by young people. All of it. it so so the, the kids at the school are actually maintaining the school are they are they like cleaning the bathroom and refilling the paper towels like is that what you're talking about oh they're cleaning the bathrooms refilling paper towels they are hosting the parent meetings they are hosting the open houses they are hosting the exhibitions they are the ones giving the tours my chef my roseville campus was 17 and he hired 13 and 14 year olds he went down to weston a price went down there learned how to cook Went to some culinary programs, self-taught a little bit on how to cook, made real food every day, and had to hire 12 and 13-year-olds who had to interview for the position to go in and become the kid. Like, that's a microcosm of the Oh, world. cool. So would you okay, so got- that or somebody who's really, really, like, can't talk, uh, self-conscious, oh, man, but they got an A in trig, who cares? So, okay, a couple of thoughts there. First off... I'm assuming if you have to clean the bathroom, you probably try not to mess it up too much where it's a little bit self-policing. And I'm just thinking back to my grade school lunches where, you know, some days it wasn't too great. It's hard to complain about the food when you're the, your peers are the one making the food. What are the learnings that come out of kind of that self-policing environment, I guess? Yeah, it's so it, you learn that that uh, rules of engagement matter, meaning rules of engagement on a good conversation. How do you do this well? How do you have a conversation with somebody who is responsible for messing the bathroom up? How do you do it well? And then how do you hold those kind of 
boundaries. And then if you're the person who's kind of being the offender of these boundaries, how do you respond to that? What is the penance for things like that? How do we come to something fair? How do we have, like, these are the conversations you end up having. And we we end up creating um, these codes of character. We call it a contract. It's exactly what it is. We create a contract where it's like, look, this is who I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to show up. We have a ceremony around signing that contract. And we go, look, we're all agreeing to this. We're in this together. So let's do this the right way. If you break contract, you are potentially not going to be here. And that's not even going to be an adult decision. I've had to refund tuitions because students fired other students. There's life lessons there. And those are hard conversations. You get used to having that kind of thing. You know, that's normal as a young person. That's a superpower as an adult going into the workplace, going into relationships. It sounds to me like running a business almost. It's like, hey, you've got people on the team. You need to align them around this mission, these core values. And by the way, those that aren't aligned with that, if you don't have tough conversations and either they level up or transition out, then you're hurting the collective whole of the team. So it sounds like you're kind of turning a school into a mini version of what could be, I guess, termed a business, but they're also learning while they're participating. Is that how, how do you feel about that definition? I mean, that's legit. It's a microcosm of the real world. It's a microcosm of the skills that are going to actually matter. Like, that's the point. We're learning to play the game that you're going to play for the rest of your life. You're learning to play the infinite game versus the finite game that makes you wonder later on why you're not good at the infinite game. School versus uh, life. Big fan. I'm assuming you're referencing Simon Sinek's book in, in that context. Or, is, or do you have other definitions outside of that one? Infinite game versus finite game. I'm a big fan of Simon, too, but I'm speaking specifically of the difference between schooling and education. Education is the infinite game. At the end of the day, you can experience as much as you can. You can study all day long. We can do this until we're 120 years old and and then go to the grave, and you're going to know 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of all there is that you could have possibly known in this life. It's an infinite game. It doesn't end. You have so much to continue to explore school's job, part of the job is to trick you into believing there's a checklist. There's a finite checklist that once you get done, and by the way, somebody else is going to give you that checklist. You don't get to decide what it is, but once you get done, ta-da, now everything works out well. And then you wonder why the infinite game's not working out well, because you did the finite perfectly. And that was supposed to be the thing, right? It's supposed to be the unlock. It's a distraction. Hmm. Okay. So we've got a bunch of financial advisors listening here, and we also probably have a lot of financial advisors that are parents. So this is kind of a cool cross section. So yep. let's, let's go into personal finance yes. uh, because I believe this is one of the biggest failures of our current education system where children graduate high school and they don't know how money works. I can think of a really, really intelligent friend back to schooling. Like, I think he was perfect math, perfect ACT. We get to college, and I think he's got a fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 credit card uh, bill because he just wasn't educated on, like, what this means when you throw a bunch of stuff on a credit card. And I've seen a lot of really smart people get themselves in trouble there. So let's look through the lens of you've got financial advisors that are helping the general population, call it boomers to retirees with their personal finances and transitioning into retirement. 
but are there lessons that you take from what you've changed with personal finance and kids that can maybe translate? What have been some of those learnings along the way or the different focuses that you all look at? Yeah, we take a look at even that uh, concept alone of personal finance is, as you know, and as all listeners know, it's a vast topic. So we want to give the mm-hmm. kids as much uh, influence as possible and experience impossible in all of this. So like I said, they're all running businesses or taking their businesses into perpetuity, right? So they're getting real-time Hey, this is, and we'll dive into understanding like it's just some of the basics on, you know, hey, this is a, you know, this one's a sunk cost versus a, like they, they dive into all of these concepts, but they're actually bringing <laughs> their products and services to the market. So they're actually trying to make money and they're having to go back in and go, okay, what were my expenses? What are, what's the general income? They're having to, you know, create P&Ls. And as obviously as the businesses get more sophisticated as they get older, there's more and more that they're adding to this. Um, but it's something that just becomes a normal conversation for them as they continue to do this over and over. As they get older, um, getting to the middle school, getting into the high school, they start doing various case studies, everything from investment to real estate investment to we're going to put you, you're going to go draw a scenario where it's like, okay, you're a um, college grad. Here's where you live. Here's what your degree is in. Here is your new spouse. She's got this much debt. You guys got to work together to figure out, okay, so like, look, real time right now, you're in New York City. What are what are the rents in New York City right now? Like, go look, mm-hmm. go figure out where could you potentially live? What is the degree you have? So what are the open jobs right now? How are you going to go get one of these jobs? And if you come in, let's say you land that job and it's going to make you X amount. So what is that going to look like? Let's map out all of our expenses. Now, don't forget your new wife. She's also got all this college debt. So what does that debt look like? What is your debt service to that, you know, uh, turn into when, at what point do you think you're going to be able to buy a home and how are you projecting this? So they'll go into these various scenarios where they're role-playing and then they'll also do case studies of other people who have gone through similar situations. Um, So they'll take a look at these different financial models. We'll talk about the 1041 tax system and how that differs greatly from the 1040 tax system, but we'll tackle that in their their later years as well. So we'll do all of these things, but I'll Mm -hmm. tell you right now, the most important thing that we do on campus from understanding the the financial implications of anything they're going to do is we talk to the parents. And we talk about the parents' current financial situation. We educate the parents on the 1041 versus the 1040. What are different you know, opportunities that you have? We'll have advisors come in for the parents. And then as the parents are moving their own plan forward, we have them share their specific plan, their specific, the cash flow for their family. Any kind of trust structure for their family, any kind, we have them share that with their own kids and bring them along for the ride. We grew up in this weird time where it's like, you don't talk about, it's rude to talk about money. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion. So now we've got a whole population that can't talk about money, religion, and politics. All right. So we want the parents to get their own education uh, moving forward and bring their kids along with them. That's the most powerful thing we do. Interesting. So you're really connecting the dots of the transfer of wealth generationally. And it feels almost like a uh, family board meeting where you're bringing the parents and the kids in. And it's just like, hey, let's talk through what this means. Has there been resistance to that? Because with some parents like or is that part of, hey, this is what we do at the school. So if you're not cool with that, then this isn't for you. 
yes and because people say they're cool with it until you actually start to do it and then they get uncomfortable and then they get like like oh well i wasn't here to be shown that i don't actually know anything about my own finances <laughs> you know it's so it's like it's this uncomfortable thing and i don't uh, so now i've got to show my children that actually we're struggling and actually i'm pulling payments off a credit card to try to pay for this credit card and i'm trying and i'm embarrassed now and i'm mm. like there how ha- we have had a couple of those situations but it's again a microcosm of how education actually works the best way to educate a young person is for that the the adults in their lives which the parents are the primary educators to further their own education and bring their kids along with them it is the most simple way but it's it is a hard thing and we've done it forever right like we've just we've always done i'll use it brad do your kids speak english they do they do speak that is crazy why do they speak english i'm assuming it was modeled you would model you speak english right did you yes. send them to school to learn to speak english what school did you send them to to learn ah you didn't send them anywhere did do they are they walking yeah with their two feet because i know they're roughly the same age as mine they're did you set up the school to learn to walk? You didn't. Like, you just walked. They started walking. They fell on their butt. They failed at it. You cheered on the failure. You kept modeling it. You kept encouraging them to fail over and over again. And now they're walking, running, skipping, jumping. This is how we're actually designed to learn everything. And people don't like that it's actually that simple, but it is. But the reason people don't like it is because it means, hey, Brad, you as an adult are the primary educator for your kids you've got to move yourself forward and if you'll take the time and responsibility to bring your kids along with you that becomes the baseline of normal for them too i love that so how i would summarize that concept is you know i look at how i learned math growing up in in my traditional public school small town kansas here's the story problem this train is going this many miles an hour you're basically taking the story problem into the real world and saying hey this is how much money is in the bank account. You live in New York City. Go to a website. Find real places in the real world that you would have to rent out that have enough space. And here's where you work. So it's got to be close. And and you're just bringing the concept into real life is my summary of what you just shared there. Bingo. It's exactly it. And when you do that, you find out that they actually care. And when you don't attach it to an arbitrary timeline, you find out that they get it really, really quickly. One of the things that school insidiously does is starts to say, hey, academics matter so much that we need to shove it down the throats of our five-year-olds and make sure everybody's reading, writing, and and starting specific math classes because we got to make sure they're ready there so that they stay at this ambiguous concept of a, of a grade level and they've got to be compared to the other ones at a grade level and we're going to call them ahead or behind because of that and then they're going to get to algebra by this age because otherwise life's gonna that is one of the most insidious things we do because we we say development levels we don't actually care we're going to shove this at you early and often we're actually going to make you think that you hate learning we're going to make you apathetic and of course it's not universal it doesn't happen to every single mm-hmm. child but it's not in line with our development. I have watched when parents have allowed for natural development take place, I've watched kids go from I've never even seen a math problem to wildly proficient in algebra in about 100, 120 total hours. Total hours. That's what's normal. Not 12 years, hours. Hmm. Because you're applying it back to the wrench analogy 
let's go bring this into the real world and learn how it works. Bingo. Because you're applying it there. You're making it interesting. You and I both know we don't get excited about something. It's going to be really hard for us to learn it. Well, guess what? It's the same thing for your kids. They're not practicing to be people. They're people just with less practice, right? So when they're excited about it, that changes the game. Also, when they're developmentally ready for it, that makes all the difference in the world as well. And again, that's a blanket statement, but five is not where we need to be having them sit down, be quiet and shove a bunch of facts at them to regurgitate and then start telling them you're either ahead or behind, smart, not smart, based on this. If it was the way to do it, again, I hate to do this because it makes people upset, but here's the logic behind it. 92% of our population that's 18 or older right now has a high school diploma from a conveyor belt schooling system. Does anybody look at our population and go, oh, 92% at least, yeah, wildly educated. You bet. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. But they all would do that same thing. Okay. So I want to take this concept and now I want to apply it to the world of financial advisors. A lot of the listeners or those watching in right now, they do a lot of live events. So dinner seminars, they do a lot of client events. So they've got this pool of retirees. They've helped transition from the working years to retirement. And now obviously they create learning experiences for them fun experiences for them. I've had, I've had offices, you know, rent out a movie theater and say, Hey, be a rock star grandparent on me, bring the grandkids. So if we kind of apply the concept of they're already working with the grandparents and parents, mm-hmm. and now there's a huge opportunity because what do I want as a parent? I want my kids to succeed in life. And I know personal finance is a massive part of that. So if I was looking through the financial advisor lens of like, Hey, I'm going to create a really cool interactive experience they can bring the kids in, which by the way, it's also checking the box when people pass on, where's the money go to the kids and every financial advisor wants to retain that if they can. So if we look through that lens, like what are some cool things that you would look at if you're a financial advisor to kind of create this educational experience to bring the kids or grandkids into? That's a good, it's a good question, man. It's an interesting question as you're saying this, and this is not a knock on it. I, I used to, I've worked for, I've run uh, a lot of Christian-based schools too, right? Mm-hmm. I read a lot of those before I launched a lot of mine. So within that, I was working with some of the biggest churches, actually, I was going to say in California, but by default, mm-hmm. they're also some of the biggest in, in the country. And it was one of the things that I always struggled with was what we did for our kids. It was like, hey, we're just going to bring the kids in and we just want them to get addicted to the fun part and the mm-hmm. employment part of our small groups and our youth you know, camps and all this stuff. But there was actually never any substance there. And what I heard from a lot of the kids was like, I mean, that's cool. We have a good time, but we actually want knowledge. Like we actually want, I don't want just dodgeball again. And then to bounce around, you know, in something that looks like a rave and just make sure we say Jesus every once in a while. Like I actually want some knowledge. So one of the things I would say for encouraging that is understanding that you aren't going to have to do a whole lot of of separation for these young kids. Now, bringing in the five and six and seven-year-olds, you know, at, at this point, it's just about the relationship with the parents. Do they have good relationship right. with the parents? Do the parents genuinely talk about it with them every once in a while? My seven-year-old will take a look at our trust structure when I look at it, because I'll look at it with my daughters as well, my older and, and then my wife, and we'll just bring them in and go, look, mommy and daddy are going to talk through this. If you got any questions, let me know, but just want you to be a part. They don't have to mm-hmm. understand it yet. I just want them to be exposed to it continuously because ultimately they're going to be like, oh, okay, 
that's starting to make sense. Ooh, I'm, I'm curious about that, right? So it's just exposure. But I would say for an event like that, man, you get somebody, if they're past that developmental age of like 12, 13, actually be a part of what the adults have going on. Don't try to dumb it down. Don't try to separate them. Honor them with a, hey, we want you to be a part of this. And if it feels weird for them, one of the best things you're doing is a service to that family because you might be showing mom and dad they have an extra connection they need to make. But I truly wouldn't change a whole lot. I really wouldn't. I would raise the bar and go, here you go. You're capable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So invite them into the conversation when the time is right. And and that's like, that's a very early age. I mean, 12, 13, 14. But I also look like that's just right before high school typically. So are they starting to learn about this stuff? Maybe they have a a debit card or, you know, I think there's some of those other accounts where you can load, the parent can load them with money. That makes a lot of sense to me as far as the timing. Of course. And they can un- they can start to, when they get to that, it's roughly that 12, 13-year developmental range where they can start to understand some of the more abstract concepts. They can start to understand things like compound interest. They can start to understand looking at things from a long-term investment strategy. They can start to understand what that means. Before 12, that's a harder brain. There's a big brain jump that happens around 12 or 13. Um, and so before that, they have a harder time with the ab- some of that abstract concept, right? But you can start talking about some of those bigger concepts around that age, and they will grasp it really, really quickly. We've got a weird thing. The word teenager wasn't even invented until 1944. It wasn't even a thing. You, you get to be 13, you're, you know, that's why a lot of cultures have like kind of this rite of passage around there, right? You're expected to take on massive amounts of responsibility, but part of it is because you're also capable and you're capable of more complex thought as well. So don't dumb things down for them, honor that and bring them along with you in those things. I, I tell families from a financial perspective as well. I say, look, man, here's a great exercise, thought exercise for you and your spouse. <laughs> Obviously, if you've got kids that are like, you know, two and three, this doesn't apply. But if they start to get to be seven, eight, 10, think through this thought exercise. What happens? You guys uh, go, okay, we're going to leave the kids home just for about 30 minutes, man. We're going to go out and, and uh, we're just going to go pick some stuff up at the store. You go out to the store and you get snowed in. Like you're now living in the store for the next 24 hours because the snowstorm hit and you're stuck. Are your kids good for the next 24 hours? Or does the does the household go to chaos? Like what happens? Are they able to cook dinner? Are they able to, um, you know, do, are they responsible enough to where they're going to go to bed on time? Are they going to take care of all the rest of the chores around the house? Are, do they understand how to do that? And can it be a, kind of a no factor that you're gone for 24 hours? What if you were gone for a week? What if you were gone for a week? So take it further. Can they run the household for a week? Are they able to take care of things? Now, obviously, if they can't drive and they can't get to school or whatever that looks like, I understand that that's a thing. But do they know who to call? Could they get a ride? Hey, what happens if you're gone for a month? Are they able to jump in and go? So I say this, if we had to be gone for a month, my 12-year-old knows how to pay all of the bills. She knows how to get our bank account information. 
She knows where the money's coming from. She knows where the money flows. She knows how it flows from the business, the business trust to the family trust into a foundation. She understands there's a list. We have a literal list of what each one of those is allowed to pay for. So she has a concept of that. This would pay for this. This would pay for this, right? Like make your kids capable, make yourself capable, and then make your kids capable. People don't like that it's that simple, but it is. It just takes the forethought and responsibility and not going, I'm just going to outsource it to school. And then since I'm outsourcing it to school and I pay through it with my, you know, I pay for it through my tax dollars. Well, now I also have the right to point and go, oh, school should be teaching them. No, 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 no. You're the primary educator. You're a financial advisor. You should be doing the majority of the advising for them now, period. Mic drop. I mean, it is love what it, it is. <laughs> I love it. All right. I want to, I want to hit one more thing on finance and then I, uh, you got yeah. some fun stories we got to get into. So, uh, we'll go more, more of the do life side for the, for the end here. I believe one of the things that you've helped do, and, and I'm just thinking through financial advisors that they're always looking for, Hey, what, what are experiences we can create that benefit? Obviously my clients that benefit my business because it makes it stickier because they never want to leave. And then we're getting much into the conversation on how that transfers to maybe the next generation. I believe at Acton, and I'm guessing in, in your new model as well, which I want to really make sure we define that because we'll link sure. to it in the show notes. Apogee, is that the name of the school and your men's group, or is there a difference there? Yeah. So by the time this airs, we'll probably, we should have the, the, the website because we have a bunch of different landing pages and websites. It should just be under the Apogee strong. And that'll link you to all the different, whether it's a virtual mentorship programs or the, the K through 12 schools themselves, much like Acton, it's going to be, there are Apogee schools mm -hmm. in various locations. Yeah. Do you have any in Kansas? Out of curiosity. Um, I can take a look because we literally, we just had about 400 applications from around the world of people who wanted to launch these. Um, we've whittled it down. We're down to about a hundred. I know we're in multiple countries, but it's not every single state. I'll find out if we've got an applicant in Kansas. Well, after we're done here, yeah, keep in touch on the Kansas side. Yes, I'd be interested to learn more. Okay. So I believe part of this back to running and starting a business I feel like they're almost like back in the day, I think we called them like science fairs and you'd have a little booth and thing. Yeah. But I feel like it's a business fair where it's like, here's yeah. my business. And are all these kids like, here's my business concept? Because I think that can be a really cool financial advisor experience. If you're like, hey, we're going to do a business fair for your kids and grandkids and they host it and facilitate it. So how do those things work? So smart, man. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing for any organization. And so Acton does a really good job of uh, launching the children's business fair, you have to have a an acceptance and a license, affiliate license through Acton Academy to launch a school, but you do not have to have that affiliate license to launch a, business, a children's business fair. So it's a great organization to connect with and it is talk about providing value to your community and linking directly to, like you said, something like just showing who you are in the community and, you know, uh, getting your name out there and um, in, in a way that you're serving everybody. It's a phenomenal idea. So, yeah, those those business fairs, you know, we've done many, like you pick a location. We obviously had a school campus to operate from, but we've, you know, I've seen people do them out of churches and, and um, you know, other school parking lots. And but you get a date set and 
you can get sponsors for the event if you want, but you just start marketing and advertising the event around. I mean, the news stations never cease to amaze me how many want to pick up that this is coming. <laughs> They'll help you spread the word. It's a, a feel-good event. I mean, Dude, it doesn't is a love kids feel out there. feel-good event. And people get super excited, and you just you offer booths. So it's up to you on how you want to do it. You can have kids come pitch to earn a spot. You can just open it up to X number of students, the first ones that come in. You know, you kind of get the reins of, of how you want to make that work. And these kids come in, and they spend the day there pitching and serving. Like, they bring their product Mm-hmm. the market. And when I say product, of course, yes, you've got some kids maybe who are young and they're coming and they're like, look, I baked cookies and they're selling it, but that they're interacting. They're having mm-hmm. to do the interaction on here's the cookies. I made these, I made these gluten-free. I made these. They're having to have those conversations. This is how much it costs. They're doing the exchange of money and they've got to be ready there. And they're going to blow a whole lot of things, meaning they're going to learn a whole lot of things. They're going to go, oh, I only accept cash. Somebody's going to be like, all I brought was card. And they're going to be like, oh, my yeah. gosh, I don't have any way to accept this. Okay, cool. That's a really inexpensive lesson to learn mm-hmm. so that next year you have multiple ways for customers to pay you. Right? That's an amazing learning experience. They're going to go, hey, I've got these cookies. And shoot, the person right next to me also sold cookies. And they're crushing me. Why are they crushing me? Well, maybe their presentation was better. Maybe they had multiple varieties. Maybe they had deals where they were doing packages. Right? You So you have all of these real learning experiences. Then you have some students that are bringing services. You have some students that are bringing amazing freaking products and they're making, mm-hmm. I mean, we've had students make four or five grand on a Saturday afternoon. Wow. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I believe one of the rules, one of my buddies was explaining this to me is the parent cannot be involved. So literally here's the kid's booth and the kid is here and there can't be mom or dad hovering over their shoulder. Is that part of the rule? That's correct. That's part of the rules. Yep, that's it. Mom and dad can't be hovering. They can't be the ones running. Like you've got to let the young hero have the experience and have the opportunity. Yeah. Any other non-negotiables on just like if if I'm an advisor listening in and I wanted to kind of do this, obviously sounds like they can go to the Acton website, check it out. But any other like, here's the frameworks to, to pull this off. No, that it's really generally very loose that way so that you can, you know, bring it to your community in the way that's best possible. But that's the big thing is is just making sure the parents are going to stay out of it and that everybody is there being super supportive. Um, you know, rule of thumb, you don't want to go for more than about two or three hours because the kids will get burnt. And, you know, they'll get burnt out for sure. But it's a great experience, man. And we I mean, we would have. 1,500 to 2,000 people show up over a three-hour period for our kids at our fairs. Acton Children's Business Fair. And to be fair, my friend Connor Boyack, who's an author, he writes books called the Tuttle Twins series, if anybody's ever heard of that. I believe they've got a business fair opportunity. There's a couple of organizations that are doing this on a grand, you know, on a big scale. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. Yeah, man. Okay. So I, I see the clock ticking. We've got about 15 here. So rumor has it, I was doing a little research here, that you trained under the famous Ken Shamrock at one uh, point. It didn't. Is that, is that true? And for those unfamiliar with Ken Shamrock, <laughs> just go go watch the early UFC when it was a much different. Not that was. not that you not that UFC isn't intense now, but it was Maybe. way more intense back then. Really, no rules. So give me your favorite Ken Shamrock story. Let's hear. Oh, let's hear it, Kansas. So to be fair. I trained under Frank, his brother, more than I trained under Ken. But Ken, the first time I actually met Ken, I had been training under Frank, heard rumors of a Lions Den tryout. And Ken, I get a phone call while I'm at work, and Ken's like, hey, man, we're going to do a Lions Den tryout. Um, Here's going to be the location. It's this coming Saturday. 
can you make it? I'm like, yeah, man, I'll be there. Right. He's like, okay, cool. And he, and he hangs up. I'm like, holy cow. I just got a call from Ken Shamrock. Like he's saying, I'm going to go get to try it. Like, this is, this is crazy. Phone rings again a couple minutes later. I'm like, what's going on? And uh, it's, it's Ken again. He's like, actually, how much do you weigh right now? And I told him, he's like, okay, can you make this weight by, by this particular weight by Thursday? I was like, uh, it's Monday. Yeah, I guess a couple days I can make it. And he's like, cool, make that weight by Thursday. Come to the weigh-in. I want you to fight on Friday. I'm actually doing a fight card on Friday. And he's like, we got Bruce Buffer is going to be the announcer. Um, I got a bunch of good guys. Are you like, serious? I swear to God. He's like, Bra- what, uh, he's like year, what year was this? Was this pre-UFC? Well, he'd already done UFC at this He'd point? already done the UFC. Okay. Yeah, this was two, the early 2000s. Okay. Um, and and like, Lion's Den was his, just for clarity, that was his version of UFC? His, or His training, like his, uh, his guys that he would coach. Okay, got it. His dudes. Yeah, he's like, Bruce Buffer's going to be the announcer. Randy Couture's going to be there. Boss Rutten's going to be there. Guy Metzger. He's naming all these, like, OGs wow. sport, Yeah, right? for sure. And I'm like, yeah, man, cool. I'm in. That sounds great. I was, like, scared to death, but I'm like, that sounds great. So I go in. I make the weight on Thursday. I have a fight on Friday for his promotion. Um, I get my nose busted within 30 seconds of the fight um, starting. Um, I end up winning the fight in the second round, but I had a broken nose. And so I come up to him afterwards and I'm like, man, I just want to let you know, like, I know the tryouts tomorrow, but this, you know, it's a little bit busted. And he's like, okay. And he's just looking at me and I'm like, so does that matter or whatever? And he's like, I don't know. Does it matter to you? You're gonna have to fight at least three times tomorrow. And I'm like, and he's like, look, are you a P word or are you not a P word? And I'm like, I'm not one. And he's like, cool. See you tomorrow. I'm like, sweet, man. And that's when I got my first taste of. Ken's whole concept of the Lions Den tryout is literally, uh, it's like buds, right? It's like, I want to break you. That's it. It's not smart training. I love Ken to death. He's not a smart trainer. He is a, I will see if I can murder you. And if you don't die about it, uh, maybe that you've got something for us. Mm. He's a crazy man. (laughs) So that's quite (laughs) the story. I'm glad I asked that. So, I mean, because this would have been still in those days, early MMA. What was your disciplines you were training in? So I grew up kickboxing. Um, the world heavyweight champ, actually, at the time, was from my hometown. Um, so the, he was my coach. He actually played Jean-Claude. I showed my son a movie yesterday. He played Jean-Claude Van Damme's brother in, in a movie. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So old school movie, Kickboxer, if you've ever seen it. Um, yeah. The guy, the guy that plays Van Damme's brother is was my kickboxing coach growing up. So I had kickboxed growing up. I had very little grappling at that, but it's part of why I went to Frank Shamrock's uh, gym in San Jose. So I was working some of those odd jobs before Stanford um, and training out at Frank. So Frank was training us in MMA, but I was still learning the grappling side of things. So it was early. it was sketchy when we got there on that Thursday for that first fight. Like I learned who I was fighting. Then there was a weigh in. There was no blood tests. There were no like. To be fair, pretty much all of my my fights, um, I did not only did nine, but they were a little sketchy, for sure. Well, I mean, just go. I mean, for anybody listening or watching in here, you can go back and watch UFC one, two, three. I had Henner Gracie on, nice. and obviously his his uncle what, Hoist was like the OG, the guy that won UFC. I think one, three, and one, four, two, or something like one, that. Two, oh, one, two, and four. 
Yeah, one, Somewhere one, two, and, one, two, and three, and then super fights afterwards. Yeah, that whole family. Well, thing. but like it remind you remember the old school video game Street Fighter, where with all oh, the yeah. characters. That reminds me of UFC one, the dude with one oh. boxing glove and, and like one oh, sumo oh. wrestler. I'm like, is this real life? But that's yeah, right. Says, that's where jujitsu really came on the scene in MMA, where you know Hoist probably weighed 140 and was taken these big dudes down so what was it that drove you did your parents put you in kickboxing was it like young matt just wants to go try a martial art or or yeah i liked my dad was a hard was a hard man for sure and i i enjoyed you know the the early like bruce lee films and the van dams and all that you know i always watched all those things as a kid but i was also a really really sensitive kid my dad was a hard hard man wanted to i thought i wanted to play basketball at five um, I went into this gym. I got the ball stolen from me. I cried, ran to my dad, and he's like, you're going to get back out there. Otherwise, we're going to do a different sport tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm not going back out there like these kids are mean. And so his idea of a different sport was now you're going to get punched in the face. Let's see if that helps. So um, <laughs> I did at least grow to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, let's go to we're kind of all over the physical fitness side. And you mentioned yeah. it earlier. I remember growing up in school and let's, let's apply this, not just to kids, but adults in general and mental health, yeah. because, um, I played college sports. And so I was basically forced to be physically fit. It was a job. Right. And I remember when football was over for me, my senior year, I was like, cool, I'm not touching a weight. I'm sick of this. And so I went on the typical college kids journey of, you know, drink too much beer, stay up too late eat McDonald's at 2 a.m. And I remember I put on like, so I, I mean, probably I would 200 fit when I was playing and I was probably 210 unfit after about a six month journey. And I just remember like looking at myself and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not doing this. Yeah. And then I course corrected. But I just remember that stage of my life where it did affect the confidence, the mental health. And so let's let's talk about what you learn and whether in kids, whether in adults, you've obviously stayed on that path to physical fitness. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's it, you know, it really ends up being like um, like anything else. And again, I, I want to reiterate something I said earlier where we're talking about mental health for kids. But if we do not take care of their physical health, we can't say we care about their mental health. So the same thing, they're not practicing to be people. They're people with less practice. So the fact that sleep matters, the fact that, you know, getting sunlight matters, the fact that not being shot up with everything under the sun and fed a bunch of processed garbage and like that matters. Physical activity on a daily basis matters. It matters for us. All those things matter for us. All those things matter for them. So again, the biggest part of educating the young person around this is helping to educate the families on our campuses. We're educating the parents around this. We're encouraging them to be involved in this. It's been the same thing for my family. Um, my wife and I really keep all those things in check and we just established the baseline of normal for our kids. So our kids at 12, 10 and seven, they are able to regulate the things they're eating. They're able to make sure they're prioritizing getting outside, being physically active. If it's not a day where they've got, you know, gymnastics or kickboxing or whatever, um, they'll self-direct their own workouts or they'll come work out with my wife or I 
we've just learned to make this a priority. They have no problem saying no at a birthday party when people are like, all right, it's time for cupcakes. They just, oh, no, thank you, because they know they're going to eat something later because they understand it doesn't make them feel weird. Like they just understand it's going to make them feel like crap and they don't want it. Um, and it's not just the, we don't want to give it. No, it's like, it's going to make me feel bad. I'm not going to be able to think as clearly. I'm not going to be able to be as articulate. I'm going to feel a little spat. Like I don't want that. So same thing, parents lean by example and making it a priority. I'm seeing a theme in this conversation. <laughs> it really is, man. It really is. Yeah, no doubt. Well, cool. I know we just have a few minutes left here and I want to give you some space to get to your next thing. So um, I'm just going to ask the last question here, which this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. So I have to ask, what is Matt's definition of Do Business, Do Life? I like that, man. Um, one of the, so a, a friend of mine who's become a mentor to me, a gentleman named Seth Godin, and some of the, uh, some of the listeners may know who Seth is. Seth asked me one day, what, because he knows what I was doing in the school of science, what should education be for? And I went, man, as a teacher, it's weird. Nobody's ever actually asked me that question. What should education be for? Education, what I boiled it down to for me, for my family, it's pursuing sovereignty and freedom, right? So when you're talking about do business, do life, to me, it's synonymous with sovereignty and freedom. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it with. That to me is the definition. And that's what I want for everybody listening. It's what I want for my kids. You know, people tell me all the time, oh, I went to school and I turned out fine. Fine is a four letter F word. I don't want fine for anybody. Fine sucks. I want optimized. Do business, do life to me is, is the optimization of that and, and ultimately getting to that sovereignty and freedom piece. That's what it means to be educated. Love that. <clears throat> I can tell you put a lot of thought into that. And obviously you're leading your life all around that and how to deliver that for, for many out there. So Matt, I want to say thanks, man. Learned a ton. So I'm thankful this won't be our last conversation. Absolutely. Uh, and so look forward to next week getting to hop on your show and uh, yeah. Happy Friday. And I look forward to hopefully our paths cross in person here soon. Guaranteed. I agree. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. All right, Matt. Take care. We'll see you. Thanks for listening into this week's show. This week's featured review comes to us from iTunes user T Schroyer 11. They say best self-improvement podcast out there. Five stars. I started listening to the podcast to get ideas on business. I keep listening because I've become a better dad and husband because of the podcast, a constant reminder of the balance of work and life and great advice on both fronts. Well, thank you, T. Schroyer, for the kind words. And thanks for listening in and taking the time to leave us a review. If you happen to be listening in out there, please connect with us out on social uh, at DBDL podcast on just about all the platforms out there. Love to know who is it out there that's leaving these kind words. And when it comes to being a better dad and a husband, you know, one of the things as I've gotten older, become a dad and realized, you know, my younger self was really just pushing to grow the business, grow the bank account, obviously serve people along the way as well. But I realized that's not what it's all about because at the end of the day, to me, money is just a tool that helps us create experiences with those we love. And if you don't actually have the time to spend it with them, which is our finite resource, then uh, what's it all for anyway? So I'm glad that's hitting home for you as well. We'll stay on the path to making sure we bring on great guests that talk about both the business side and the life side. So thanks for taking the time to leave the review and we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations. 